Welcome to the Ripe Global Podcast, a podcast providing innovative and inspirational dental education to dental professionals and their teams worldwide. Each fortnight, we deliver relevant content covering procedures, educational opportunities, and interviews with rock stars from the dental world. As we explore the successes and failures of dentistry, learn practical tips and expert advice to help you become a better dental professional. Hello, everyone, and happy holidays, happy December, or just happy end of the year. Whatever floats your boat, welcome. And I uh, got a very special guest, a great friend, and you all know who that is, Dr. Lincoln Harris. So, Link, welcome. How you been, my friend? Hey, Michael. It's uh, a pleasure to join you this morning, and uh, thank you for inviting me. Uh, how, how, you how have you been rolling towards the end of the year? Uh <laughs> I don't even know how to describe that. It's like, I can't wait for it to be done. I'm looking forward to having a nice break. It's been an amazing year of, of celebrations and accomplishments and just, it's been such a fun time. How about yourself? How, how are you feeling going towards the end of the year? Uh, well, it, quite mixed. It's, it's been a very exciting year. It's actually <clears throat> probably been amongst the most exciting years of my career teaching and doing dentistry so uh you know there's so many new things that we're doing and that that is both difficult and exciting but also you know it's the same i'm looking forward to a break i've been driving pretty hard this year uh and you know there's only so many <clears throat> there's only so many days that you can work until midnight before you start to feel sleepy so uh, i have no idea what you're talking about uh, workaholics are us. If you're a workaholic, uh, then please apply to join the team. Register your interest for the next workaholic intake. <laughs> uh, so, so it, you know, when you say that, like, I mean, what a year. It has been a crazy exciting year. It's been stressful. It's been fun. Some great surprises. You know, tell me, tell me about it from your perspective, what the year felt like, what it looked like. Uh, I think the year really is best described as it looks like a duck. So for everyone else <laughs> looking, for everyone else looking on, it, the little duck is just gliding smoothly around in the water uh, and looks like they really know where they're going and what they're trying to do. Uh, anyone who's underneath the water can see the little web feet paddling like mad. And so really that, and that is the nature of driving an innovation business is, you know, we are trying to, we are not trying to we are learning to teach in new ways that are more efficient that are better um, but in the process of doing that there's no handbook like it, it, most people who educate copy someone else who educated and we can't do that i don't have anyone to copy because there's not anyone doing what we're doing and so uh basically whilst you are building things you're also inventing them and testing them and trying them and then making them better constantly and so it is uh, thrilling and it's exciting to see it work. And it's amazing to see a group of really talented people come together to, to drive this project. Uh, but it is also simultaneously a little bit like juggling three chainsaws on a unicycle being chased by crocodiles. So, well, um, while you're on fire. No, 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 don't be silly. Too far. Now you're exaggerating. There was no fire. Just uh, I have never, I have never exaggerated in my life. I have no idea what you're talking about. I am a straight shooter that only tells the truth at all times. <clears throat> so Thanks what, you know, with you. 
Shh, quiet, shush. <laughs> so, so with the year of unknowns, and you said we, you know, we didn't have anyone to copy, and we made all this stuff up, changed as we went. What, what surprised you about the year? Uh, so the single biggest surprise for me this year is learning how effective cloud delivered education is. So when, when we designed it, we didn't design it necessarily to be more effective than teaching in a traditional way in a sim lab. Mm -hmm. We designed it because in about September last year, as a company, we worked out that the approach of people flippantly traveling anywhere in the world at any moment at any time may not be easy to do for many years so it's not to say that we can't travel to other countries it's just that there's like you know little issues like suddenly that country you can't go to because your government thinks they're a hot spot or there's a new outbreak or who knows what so <clears throat> the, the start of the project was how do we solve this problem and I can tell you that you know, it was anxious for me because I've taught in this particular way for many, many years, hundreds and hundreds of students that I've taught in a traditional manner. And so when you invent a new manner, you've got this great fear. Will it work is the first fear. Like, will it work at all? Yeah. Will it be any good? Like you think it's good, but you don't know until you try. So <clears throat> the biggest surprise for me this year was when I was teaching I think it was the first or the second hands-on class using our simulation kits and our cloud delivered platform. And the students were doing crown preps. And it normally takes from the start of one day until the middle of the next day for most people in a class of dentists to stop doing undercuts with their crown preps. Like literally 85 to 90% of all dentists that I've ever had in a crown prep class do undercuts for about a day and a half. And they stopped doing undercuts like three hours in. <laughs> like we were, we were teaching cloud, which is, you know, like in person in a sim lab is what people call the gold standard. And we were teaching over a cloud delivered network with simulation kits and it was a live class, but you know, we weren't sitting, we were like up to 10,000 kilometers away from our students and they were learning faster. That was like the biggest surprise for me all year. That, that the process that the, we have had to develop to give people feedback when you can't physically sit beside them is better than what you do when you sit beside them. That's, you know, my, my biggest surprise is the same as yours. Because uh, when, you, when you started this whole, whole crazy thing and I came on board, you know, I saw what you were doing and I saw what you explained. And... I've known you long enough that I believe in you without having to have everything explained to me so deeply, but deep inside of me there, I was worried about this. And I was like, how's this going to work? Is this going to work? And it was that first session actually during, I think it was actually during the dress rehearsal that we did. And I remember thinking to myself, holy heck, this actually works. And holy heck, I can actually see things that I've never seen as an educator in the attendees, unless I was only teaching one person the whole time. Because it's always, it's always, oh, can you come and look what I did, not what I'm doing. 
and it, it's it, it's impossible for you to get around the whole room. You and I have taught in Sydney before, where we have you know twenty people, and we're spread thin to actually give them enough attention. And uh, so, when that vision that you had actually came to fruition, it uh, it put a huge smile on my face. I, I'll say that it shocked me, it surprised me, but it gave me a huge sense of comfort as we move forward. And we saw that very early. I think that the, the, the thing that is, uh, so then I started thinking, okay, why, why does it work so well? What is it that makes it work so well? And what I've realized is that when you sit beside someone, you basically can be relatively lazy. Uh, you can sit down and go, show me your work. You can point to the problems. And so an undercut that will ruin your work might only be 0.3 millimeters wide. And so most people can't actually see it. Like you point at it and go, there's an undercut here. And they go, where? I can't see it. You know, I can see all the margins because they don't realize you can see all the margins on a crown prep and still have an undercut. And so then, you know, in the process of developing our feedback loop where we use high definition photography and video, it becomes much more magnified. The, the image, you know, we're using massively magnified images now instead of, uh, instead of just looking at things and we're showing them in an extremely visual way. So it's not just point and using words, it's extremely visual. And that extreme visualization of what the problem with their technique is, speeds up the feedback loop tremendously. And so if you were to do it in person and achieve the same result, you would need to use the same feedback loop, which is, using the sort of high definition photos and video that we use. And then there's no actual point to be there. Yeah, so Link, just to, just to back you up a, a quick second, because <clears throat> we're using, you know, using some terms that the listeners might, might, might not be familiar with. Tell us about, explain feedback loop. What, what exactly is that? Okay, so when you teach any procedure, there's a feedback loop. So the, you, you traditionally get shown how to do it, and then you attempt mm -hmm. to do it. And then the teacher comes over and gives you feedback on what's wrong, basically. And yep. then you try and correct what's wrong. And then you get more feedback on what's still wrong. And you keep going through this feedback loop until you get it right, hopefully. And so that, depending on the procedure, will take quite some time. So, you know, for the average group of 25 dentists, uh, 85% of them will cut undercuts on their crown preps if you get them to do crown preps, particularly if you put them under pressure. Right. And so to go through this feedback loop of giving them critique and then having them attempt it again and doing critique and attempt it again usually takes, you know, a day and a half before they are no longer cutting, you know, crown preps that are rough, that have dings in the margin, that have damage to the tissue, that have undercut, all the problems, you know, insufficient taper, too much taper, all of these things. But when we do it cloud, it takes, you know, half the time or less. So that's, it's that feedback loop that we use with our cloud platform that is so efficient because it is extraordinarily, like it's extreme visualization of your work and mm. of the problem. And so the student can understand what the problem is and what they have to do to fix it to a degree that is not possible in person unless you use the same technology. And there's no point to all get together to use, <laughs> you know, use computer screens to talk to each other. That's silly. <laughs> yeah, so um, 
gosh, where was I going with that? So when when you know with the feedback loop that you're talking about, that as you're describing it, experiencing being the being able to use those high resolution photos and annotate them, it actually becomes a workbook for the students afterwards because otherwise you're having to sit and rely on your memory and no one's sitting there recording and taking pictures of you and I teaching with them is uh, that that was, I guess that would be the other surprise. I didn't actually, uh, I didn't anticipate how powerful that type of feedback loop was as, you know, take home homework and notes and, and self-improvement sort of thing. Yeah, I think the other, so there's other things that, you discover when you build so when you build a course that's cloud you discover a whole range of benefits like they're not uh, they're not immediately apparent the the other huge benefit is the time it's it's uh when we're writing a course normally you have three days or two days or one day to teach this material and so you try and cram everything into that particular time and so uh but when you write something cloud delivered, you can spread it out over however long that you want. And so you can actually run, uh, you can run the program in ways that give you the best outcome rather than fit within the time that you're in a sim lab. So it's frequently best to have the dentist do, you know, a practice session before you actually teach them. So, uh, like if, if you demonstrate a procedure and you're really good at it and the student is not really good at it, when you demonstrate, they don't actually see anything because they either have never done it or they haven't done it recently. And so they don't see what you're doing. And, and the best example I can give of this is when I was a dental student, I watched Professor Monsoor do wisdom teeth and like it was magical. He did a tiny little incision, <laughs> the wisdom teeth just like evaporated out of the socket and he did one suture and it was done and it was fast. It was atraumatic. The surgery was tiny. And then I went to do wisdom teeth surgery myself. And as I picked up the scalpel, I go, I actually don't know where he did the incision. I watched him do it 50 times and I didn't see once where he did the incision. Yeah. I couldn't see it because <clears throat> I had never done it. And so you actually, when you watch someone do a demonstration for something you've never done, you actually don't see anything. Like you don't see most of what they're showing you because a expert is going to see what they're doing because they, they understand it. So you, you had talked about that a little while ago when we were talking about in-person programs that they show and then they tell and then you do. Now you've turned that on its head. So help. Explain the approach how, how that's changed from Professor Mansoor to how you've now developed this, this curriculum. So most, most education is basically done the way we were taught. So we were taught you get theory, you do get a hands-on demonstration, and then you actually do the thing. And so the, uh, the, the, that's the normal way. And the problem with that is that the theory itself has no meaning until you've done it. And so most of the theory you, you immediately forget because you haven't done something. And then the demonstration you don't see because you haven't done it. And obviously you can't do it on a patient because you're not safe. So many areas of training in places where people die, they do it the other way around. Uh, so they get you to do the exercise, they let you fail, 
failing is okay, it's part of learning, and then they start training you. Um, like even Caterpillar do this with bulldozers. They deliver the bulldozer, they don't teach you how to use it for two weeks because they know that they, you need to just like, everyone needs to hop in the machine, steer it, pull all the buttons, turn it on and off, drive it around, have no idea what they're doing. They know that if they try and teach you the first day, you're too eager and you won't pay any attention. So you know, like even Caterpillar <laughs> do it with heavy machinery. You're talking about me, I, I get it, I get it. You're talking about me, you're, the tractor thing, you're rubbing it in. Go on, no, really, go on, we did a huge amount of like investigation in what's the best way to teach. And so we looked at areas where people actually die if you get things wrong, like flying planes, paramedics, emergency rooms, general anesthetic theatres. And they teach and train in a very different way. And one of the things they do is, first of all, they do a lot of simulation training. So many courses, you do like one crown prep. And they're doing simulation training. That means like the person pretends to die uh, and, you know, they have a mannequin of the person dying. And so they do that again and again under different circumstances. And they do it with pilots. You know, pilots, they put them in a simulator, they turn three of the engines off and half the electrical systems are down and you need to land the plane and you've got a thunderstorm. And that, that is simulating difficult situations. So when we built this course, we thought, how do we, how do we take that type of training where... Someone dies if you get it wrong. Okay, sure, it's only teeth, no one dies, but let's take it seriously like that. And so the research we've done has shown that if you, first of all, you have to do simulations, not just hands-on. So you have to, that's why we give everyone a mannequin so that it's like, we can put them under regular timeframes. Okay, so these people are not doing one crown prep slowly over an entire day, which is standard for hands-on courses. We get them to do 17 crown preps and we put them under 20 minute time frames, under time pressure. We want them tired and hungry and a bit stressed because that's actually how dentistry is. And so if you learn to do crowns when you're relaxed and you're having like morning tea, lunch, afternoon tea, and then you're going to dinner, okay, and, the, and you're doing one all day, there is nothing about that that's a simulation. And so when you go to apply that skill on a patient where you're under time pressure and the patient is anxious and they're causing you trouble and you're stressed, immediately you lose all that ability. It's known, it's quite well known that under stress, you lose up to 85% of your ability. So you have to have so much ability in reserve that you can lose 85% and you're still really good. And you don't get that by doing one crown prep perfectly. Now, that, that's a breakthrough educational model for dentistry. Yeah, it's existed with, as you say, with paramedics, with pilots, scuba divers, and, and all that stuff. But I guess I'll ask you, how did the students respond to that? I mean, because that's a, that's a completely different way of learning, and they were nervous about it. So how did they respond to that, that paradigm shift? And this particular paradigm shift I've done in person for years, so the simulation and training. So rather than doing things slowly and perfectly we do them under realistic time frames but with massive repetitions until you get it right under a realistic time frame and what we have shown is that that leads to actual skill so if you do a hands-on training exercise but you do low repetitions that is uh, not actually building a skill, that is building practical theory. There's a big difference between practical theory and skill. Skill takes repetitions, practical theory only takes one repetition. 
so that you understand the practical aspect of what you're trying to do. But then you have to go home and fail on your patients until you've done enough practicing dentistry until you're good at it. Um, but building a skill requires a simulation and it requires repetitions. And so I've done that for years. And what happens is when you do repetitions to build a skill, now people can actually do the procedure before they go home. They actually feel confident. And what happens is people go to all these courses on how to sell dentistry and get the patients to say yes to dentistry and all this sort of thing. But the basis of acceptance of treatment by, by patients is that you are confident in yourself. And to be confident in yourself, you have to be confident that you can actually do this procedure and you can do it predictably. And that does not come by one repetition. That comes so by smashing them out one after the other until you can do it really well. So that's gonna lead into the next obvious question. Yeah, how has that, how have you seen that change the attendees? And, and I know you and I have, have experienced wonderful breakthrough stories, uh, but why don't you share? Why don't you share kind of some of your favorite where you've seen that change happen in an attendee from theory to actual skill development? Uh, so there's several things that I've seen. The first one is people who have lost. Uh, when you don't feel confident, dentistry is actually quite so. Dentistry is quite difficult even if you are confident and skilled. So it's quite a difficult profession and it's very, very draining and tense. So one of the things I've seen is that when people become confident that they can do something and they start to tackle more complex cases and give patients more options and you have these patients who are uh, more <clears throat> uh, well-treated for more difficult issues, dentistry becomes fun again. Uh, so I'd seen people go from wanting to quit dentistry because it was just, they were so sick of it, to basically having patients needing full mouth rehabilitations within a you know, six month period. So, uh, and, <laughs> accepting, and accepting full mouth rehabilitations. And so what I've discovered is a lot of times when people say, oh, you know, I don't, I don't do crowns in my practice because they're not minimally invasive. Sometimes that's true, but sometimes it's just because actually they don't feel confident that they can do a crown that will work reliably, particularly if it's a larger case. So that one effect is saving people's careers. The second is I've seen people, uh, once they are confident that they can offer it, that they can do the procedure, their case acceptance for their more complex procedures goes through the roof. One more time. Uh, their, their case acceptance for complex procedures goes through the roof. It goes up dramatically. Like, uh, you know, people who pay for a two-year course in the first three months because their case acceptance has gone up so much, particularly for more complex cases. Uh, so building confidence and competence in the, in the dentist is incredibly important for their ability to talk to their patients about potential treatments. Um, well, it's funny, you know, you're bringing up, you're bringing up that attendee and I, although I know she allows us to use her name, I won't. But when you said, you know, she wasn't doing crowns and we're in module two right now, which is anterior module. And she has, what did she say today? She has four full mouth rehabilitations lined up and she's never even done one. And she has people saying yes to treatment. Yeah, so she actually, and she lives in a country where, you know, dental fees are about the highest in the world. Uh, and so, you know, you have, 
people who are <clears throat> you know, saying things like, oh, my patients don't accept this sort of treatment, but actually the reason the patients weren't accepting it is because the dentist wasn't confident. And when you're not confident, you can't, the way you present subconsciously sounds not confident. So, you know, like you, you basically sabotage yourself. And I mean, one of the massive things about the courses that we've developed is that we support people through their first cases. Now, sneakily, that's for two reasons. The first one is because in the past, I would teach dentists and I never knew if the work they did when they got home was any good or not. Like I would teach them and they'd say they've been to my course, but they might be going and doing all sorts of things. I don't know. And so because we're now able to have people present case presentations, it allows us to basically check that their skills are up to scratch. And sneakily, it actually forces them to do their first case because quite often what happens <laughs> is they go to a course, they learn a new procedure, they go home, they're a little bit anxious about it. And then if you don't do it within a certain period of time, you're never going to do it. You basically just wasted the course. So yeah. you know, encouraging and helping and supporting people through their first cases is very important. Otherwise they don't do it. I would also say from a, from a selfish standpoint, <clears throat> as an educator, you know, you and, you and I have been teaching for over 20 years is you know, we leave the course, as you say, and we don't get to see what they did. And we hope that they implement the knowledge and the skills that we shared. The coolest thing that I've seen in FRD and the Fellowship of Restorative Dentistry is we get to see those cases right away. And as educators, we've gotten to step back. I've never seen such an active, interactive, supportive, safe community among attendees. I mean, all the attendees, it's like they became the educators themselves within a very short time. And we, we didn't talk about that. We didn't plan it. And they just rose to the occasion. Yeah. I mean, they all just sharing their cases and supporting each other and offering each other advice. And so, I mean, yes, the educators themselves will come in if we need to, or if they ask for it, but just watching them basically teach each other and share ideas has been amazing. And, you know, it forms a supportive network where they basically have support for their dentistry 24-7. And that's just about unheard of anywhere else. And it only works with us because we have students in every time, like every major time zone. So we've got students in Europe and UK, and North America and Asia and Australia and New Zealand. And so because we have students and educators and we have educators in pretty much every time zone you can think of. So that wide... <laughs> Once again, the, the cloud basis to this education allows there to be, like, there's never a point where people are asleep. There's <laughs> always someone awake. Yeah, I, I'm awake a little bit too often, but that's, that's a whole other story. So, Link, what, I'm going to ask this question two different ways. What sort of student or what sort of attendee does RIPE or does the fellowship attract? Uh, so the, the fellowship in restorative dentistry will attract um, it, the, the purpose of the course is to make you confident in your restorative dentistry so you can go anywhere from basic single tooth fillings or crowns all the way to full mouth rehabilitations including you know being able to do multiple back teeth multiple front teeth veneers and then full arches. And that, that is actually the technical purpose is to make you confident to do that and competent to do it. 
so that your patients are safe. Actually, the, our whole course is written, how do we make sure that your patients are safe? That is the core foundation of the course. Because if we ran courses in traditional ways, we can't be sure that your patients are safe. So that is the, the core. So first of all, someone who wants their patients to be safe, uh, who wants to be confident in all aspects of restorative dentistry, including rehabilitations, and who wants to be genuinely competent when they finish the course, not just knowledgeable. So they, they want to have skill. That's the sort of person. Now, um, obviously we need people who have a little bit of commitment because you know, basically this course does run over a period of time. Um, having said that, there's no more commitment than if you're flying somewhere for three days at a time because you don't have all the time off travel and hotels and- uh, Cancelled so flights. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's like that was, that, massively that's more efficient. You know, I think we worked out that cost-wise, because you don't lose near as much production out of your office, and you're not paying for flights, and you're not paying for hotels and food and parties and everything else, it costs like seventy-five or seventy-six percent less than an equivalent course. Wow! Is, huh. Yeah, that's like you know forty, fifty thousand dollars for a Western country dentist. Yeah, it's, that, that's amazing. You know, when I was adding up my travel time and then I didn't even get into the flights that got all the flights that were canceled and changed this year when I did go to attendee courses. And now it's like, oh, I have to walk 10 feet to my computer. That's that's rough. That's hard. <laughs> so the, the, the follow-up question that I, that I had for you on that one, Link, you and I have amassed an amazing team of educators all over the world. What sort of educators does FRD attract? Um, so probably first and foremost is people who are not dogmatic. So uh, we generally look for educators who understand that other educators may have a different viewpoint to them and that is okay. So we generally try and avoid where possible educators where the you must do it this one certain way or you are a reprehensible dentist i don't generally like that approach um, i don't actually ask my educators to conform so i'm quite happy for them to have differing opinions because i think students should be exposed to differing opinions if you only ever hear one opinion the moment you have a patient that doesn't fit your opinion then you're in trouble and so I do sometimes purposely get educators who have differing opinions, and I know that's more confusing than being told there is only one true path to righteousness. Um, but having uh, different opinions and viewpoints gives the student more tools to use for more situations. That's one thing that that I've enjoyed in your you know in your vision of the first two modules that I've experienced uh, as an educator and even just as an observer is you took two diametrically opposed and viewed approaches to restorative dentistry, injection molding and polychromatic layering. And usually those, uh, those two groups you know, fight tooth and nail about their dogma and who's right and who's wrong. And you've given the attendees a full toolbox to approach these in, you know, for the different patients, different time constraints, different finances, different fees, uh, everything it's kind of the full package well i actually do both this is the thing like there are patients where injection molding is the best thing because you don't 
Like they're not a fancy patient. They don't want expensive, fancy stuff, or you just want to fill their black triangles and everything else looks beautiful. And you don't need to go to the level of layered composites. But then I have other patients where I do multi-layered composites with tints and I spend an hour on each tooth. And that's perfect, perfectly fine. And I use both. And I think most people should be able to do both rather than saying every single patient in the world has to be treated in one way. It's similar to, you know, <clears throat> when I learned soft tissue grafting, I learned soft tissue grafting with Allodan, but I've also learned it with tissue from the palate. And I use both. Like yesterday, I generally prefer natural tissue because it, it heals better and it lasts longer. But yesterday I had a patient who wanted to be, have one surgery under IV sedation. <clears throat> and the only way to do 13 teeth soft tissue graft in four quadrants in one surgery is with Allodan. So if I don't have both tools, I can't treat those patients that fall outside of the, you know, the standard regime. So I think having multiple viewpoints is like having more tools in your toolbox. So, you know, maybe yeah, okay. go ahead. Sometimes it's good to have a hammer and nails and sometimes it's good to have a screw. Yeah. And glue. And, you know, I, and I say that you know, if you have a cookie cutter approach, it only works if you only make cookies. And that's, that's the problem with a, a lot of the institutes that, you know, you and I have, and I don't want to name any institutes, but educators, and we've been those educators, I'm sure at some time, but letting go of that dogma and embracing a collaborative approach to teaching. I mean, I got to experience that with you decades ago. I got to experience that so much with Lane Ochi and letting go is so freeing but it also allows you to accomplish so, so much more as an educator and, and as an attendee, I guess I would say. Yeah, I think it's more difficult. It's more difficult to learn multiple viewpoints, but it's more, it is a stronger foundation once you learn it. So basically it, it's easier to teach you a step-by-step -step approach where you can blindly follow a protocol, but then you are less able to cope. And, and part of the reason I do this is one of the first forms of rehabilitation I learned was from an institute that had a protocol that you had to follow blindly. And the problem was in about 20 to 30% of patients, it didn't work. So you had these patients where the protocol didn't work and you had to use a different protocol and it wasn't taught. And so then you had this high failure rate for cases that fell outside the protocol. So that's why I don't do it. The one thing we do have, which is completely universal, is this focus on it being about the dentist's competence and skill rather than about the material or the procedure chosen. Because we know Talk. scientifically that the way that you carry out the procedure is more important than which procedure you choose and what material you use. So if you use like gold on a back teeth, but you do it badly, it will not last as long as composite resin or even GIC, like bad gold will fall out immediately. So uh, that is the one consistency through all of the educators is their focus on excellence rather than uh, like whatever you do, do it with excellence and meticulous attention to detail. That is more important. And that's, you know, there's a lot of research in general surgery. They don't do it in dentistry, but certainly in cardiac surgery, they have studied outcomes and the outcome is first and foremost to how well the surgery is carried out. And then secondly, the patient health more than the actual type of procedure they chose, like whether they did this type of incision or that type. 
That kind of rolls me in, in, into the next question is with so much of this being different and all the things that you want to accomplish, what do you wish that people had known before they started FRD? Uh, probably the, the one thing, the one thing I would say that people, I would like people to know before they start FRD is that the whole purpose of FRD is to give you the skill to be able to do things that you can't currently do. So a lot of people look at what we're going to teach them, they go and they go, oh my goodness, they're going to teach us how to do rehabs. I can't do a rehab. And you go, yes, that's because we haven't taught you. <laughs> okay. The whole purpose of the course is so that you get, you learn how, and by the time we finish with you, you will know how. So, so the first thing is you are not expected to know how to do veneers, aesthetic work, quadrant dentistry, or rehabs before you start the course, because the purpose of the course is to teach you those things. So basically you need to be, you need to have a desire to learn and you need to have a desire to push towards doing great dentistry. But apart from that, you don't need to be a great dentist before you start FRD. That's the first thing. And the second thing, and this is going to take us a long time to demonstrate to you know all the dentists in the world, is that cloud education may not allow you to have a party every Friday night after the course. But if you just want to learn dentistry, it's more effective. And it, it, it allows us to teach more effectively. You will learn faster and you will learn deeper, far deeper, because we can structure the course in such a way that you learn over time rather than doing a one hit wonder Friday and Saturday course where you go home and you immediately forget 90% of what you learn. When you talk about that and you talk about the attendees perspective or you know what we things that we've heard for, for years is when they say, oh, I, I can't do that yet or I wanna wait till I get better so I can take that course. And part of that for me goes towards safety is because they're, they're not confident, they're insecure and we've been exposed as dentists, educators or attendees or dental students to some pretty not nice environments to you know, a lot of trolling, a lot of, a lot of people, you know, personal attacks. And I, I think watching that during module one, during the posterior module, watching people not improve in their technical skills immediately, but improve and merge from their safety shells and actually open themselves up to their colleagues. And that's when I, I saw the, the real explosive growth start with so, so many of the attendees that were so, had such low confidence at the beginning of the module. Yeah, I mean, look, the, the reality is that if you learn anything, it's uncomfortable. And if you learn quickly, it's more uncomfortable. And so there's actually no way to learn comfortably except to learn really, really slowly so you can hardly do anything. Um, and that's, <laughs> that's just the reality of learning. Uh, and if you go to a course where you don't feel uncomfortable, you probably didn't actually learn much. Like you might have had a good time and you felt all good about yourself, but maybe but unlikely that you've actually learned a skill. So uh, but, you know, we don't need, we don't want people who are amazing. Well, if people are amazing, I mean, it's interesting, even the dentists who are quite skilled coming into the course, you see that they're developing a great deal as well. Um, and the dentists who are much less skilled, who are at much more basic level, they're, you know, they're all progressing amazingly. And I think that watching that progress has been extraordinary. Like just watching people who, <clears throat> um, 
you know, struggled to do a, a class two filling and now they're doing beautiful class two fillings with anatomy and they do it efficiently. That's amazing. Or watching people suddenly, you know, they're doing quadrants of crowns for patients who need them, whereas before they wouldn't offer it because they, they couldn't, they just didn't have the confidence they could actually do it. So that progress has been quite extraordinary. And, you know, what we're seeing is that it's accelerating, like they're way ahead of us. We've got people who are starting to treatment plan rehabs and we're only in anterior modules, so. <laughs> well, Link, it looks like we're just about out of time and you and I, as usual, could go for hours and hours, but I know you have your day to get onto and I have my evening. So I wanna thank you for joining, but I'll leave the closing words for you. Yeah, look, I, I think that first and foremost, I'm, I'm very thankful for all the educators who work with us and also the team at Rife Global. Is it like the students don't see there's a massive team of people who make all this work, who do all sorts of amazing things that I can't do, like make everything work. Um, and but I also tremendously thankful for the group of students who trusted us with a new way of teaching uh, that had never been done before. And, you know, we're seeing amazing results, like, like, astonishing results, things that I, I'm seeing progress from students that I've never seen in my career before. And I think being able to do that for people all over the world at a cost that's like three quarters lower than traditional education, I think is just amazing. So it's been stressful, exciting, but it's also been very rewarding here. I, I absolutely agree. And that's a great note to close on. So if you're interested in the Fellowship or Restorative Dentistry in signing up or just finding out more, please log on to www.ripeglobal.com. We're actually running uh, quite a number of specials. If you are interested, you can contact us at support at ripeglobal.com. But otherwise, this is Mike Melkers and Lincoln Harris signing off from Hanover, New Hampshire and Bagara, Australia. Take care and have a happy holidays. Thank you so much for joining us for this incredible episode of the Ripe Global Podcast. We'll meet you back here next time for some more insights from Ripe Global. And in the meantime, Ripe Global is teaming up with master dentists from all over the world to offer you a fast-growing library of world-class online lectures and masterclasses. Visit our website at www.ripeglobal.com and become a member today.